Last week, we began a brand new series that we're calling Superpowers, and I don't know if you're into superhero movies or not, but most of them, there's this theme that runs through most of the superhero movies, and that theme is that there is this object. It could be an orb, it could be a scepter, it could be a ring, but some object that is chased after and is pursued and is highly valued. And I want you to know today that the reason that you and I so resonate with that storyline is because we were hardwired by God to chase after, to pursue, to highly value him. In fact, the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, it tells us that God made all of us in his own image and he stamped it upon us, his image. And we also said last week that God is like this seven faceted diamond. And the seven facets uh, are spoken about in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, and in Revelation chapter 2, where it talks about the sevenfold spirit of God. So we said there are seven facets that God has in his perfection and in his holiness. And and when he created you and when he created me, when he created us, he stamped upon us one of those facets. And and Romans 12 gives us a list of those facets. And and we call them spiritual gifts or uh, personality types in that list in Romans 12. If you got your Bible, go ahead and flip to Romans 12 because that's where we're going to camp out. And those seven gifts in Romans 12, listen, they correspond to the seven spirits that he stamps upon us. And God, in his perfection, has all of them. But you and I are only given a part. We're only given one facet of his image. And and, uh, Paul tells us in verse 6 of Romans chapter 12, it's in the grace of God and out of the grace of God that he has given each of us different gifts for doing certain things well. That's the grace of God. And so he stamps upon us one of those facets or one of those gifts for specific purposes so that we can do certain things. In fact, Ephesians talks about it. Colossians talks. I mean, most of the letters in the New Testament talk about that you and I were prepared for works in advance. There were works prepared for you to do and for me to do specifically the work of the local church. And so I know that there's questions that we all have about ourselves, right? I mean, we all have these things that we wonder about. Why am I this way? And why do I react this way? Or why do certain things interest me? Or why do I respond that way? Or why do I respond this way? And nobody else responds that way. And and we want to help you answer all of those questions in the coming weeks. Because all of those questions and all of that is related to your gifts. And it's related to your personality that God has stamped upon you. But it is very crucial that we begin with this truth and with this fact. It is God who stamped you. It was God and his sovereignty who decided. It was God and his sovereignty who who stamped each of his children uniquely. And it was God who created you. And and you're you're human. You grow and you learn and you get old. But We're imperfect, but there is a part of us that syncs up with God. And that's the image that he has stamped upon us. And that's what makes us super, really, is the image of God stamped upon us. And so we're humans that God has made super with his image through the gift of his Holy Spirit working inside us through the facets that he has stamped upon us. So each of uh, week in this series, we're going to take two of the gifts. And we're going to tackle these gifts, and we're going to talk about uh, this little outline with each of them. We're going to follow this little outline of personality and problem and power. Okay, And so every week we're going to do it with every gift. We're going to cover those three things, the personality of the gift, the problem with that particular gift, and then the power, uh, how it operates in the flesh and how it operates in the spirit. And so we've been giving these gifts from a perfect God. So let's look at that full passage again together in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 6. In his grace... 
God has given each of us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is encouraging others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do that gladly. Okay, so let's dive in. And if you're a guest with us today or you're new today on one of our campuses, let me just say this series is going to be a little more academic than most series we do because we're going to move through information. And so I want you to track with me, and you're going to take this little card that they, was in the seat pocket when you came in, this superpower super card, and we're going to look at the prophet first. And I've given you 10 questions that you're going to rank yourself, or 10 statements about each gift, and you will rank yourself and score uh, yourself. So let's start, first of all, with the prophet. And and I want to say to you, uh, when we talk about the prophet uh, uh, and this gift in Romans 12, we're not talking about foretelling the future. We're talking about foretelling the Word of God. And saying, thus saith the word, thus saith the Lord. And, and so I'm not talking about here about seeing visions or having a word, you know, uh, from God. That's something different. So I want to give you a definition. And this definition fits every prophet from Isaiah all the way to little Amos, you know, in, in Scripture. A prophet is a man or a woman of God who gives a word of God to the people of God. That's the definition. They speak forth the word of God. They say, this is God. This is what God is saying. This is God's word. And that vision, it may come from a vision. It may come from this spirit-to-spirit communication between God and and this prophet. Or it may come from just looking at the word of God and careful study over the word of God. But here's one thing you can mark down. If it's true, it will always align with Scripture every single time. God is not schizophrenic. He's not going to speak one thing here through a vision and another thing through his word. It always lines up in his word. And either way, the prophet is delivering the message of God to the people of God. And so for the prophet, there's no gray. It's not gray. Everything is either black or white. They have a strong hatred for evil and a desire to go eliminate the evil. They make quick, quick, quick decisions. They have quick discernment. They walk into a room and they can size up people and they can size up situations. They're extreme with words sometimes and they can jump to conclusions at at times. And so let's look at this superpower test. And as we go through, mark yourself, okay? Zero, never, five, always, one, two, three, and four, somewhere in between. This, there's no cheating, okay? And so you, you mark on yourself. Don't look at your neighbor. Just do yours. And, and, you know, people ask in the first service, well, what if I tend to be, you know, conservative with, with my, you know, number? Well, that's fine. You'll be conservative through all seven tests, and it'll all come out in the wash. If you're liberal and, and you're going to give yourself, you know, all kinds of grace, you're going to rank yourself uh, high on all You'll rank yourself high on all of them. So the differential at the end may be one or two points, depending on how you score yourself. Okay, so look at statement number one sees everything as black or white, either in or out of God's will. Now, every gift, I'm going to give you a biblical example, okay? This one is Peter. The apostle Peter is clearly the prophet. He's the first guy out of the boat. When Jesus comes along the Sea of Galilee and says to the fishermen, come follow me, no wavering. He jumps out of the boat and he follows Jesus. He's the one that called out to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, call me out on the water. I want to walk on the water with you. He's the one who stood up and preached in Acts chapter 2 and 3,000 people joined the church that day. I want you to listen in Acts 2 to how careful and exact he is with his words. Verse 14, he says, listen 
carefully. All of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. And you jump down to that same chapter to verse 36, and he says, let everyone in Israel, this is not just for anyone, it's for everyone in Israel, know for certain that God has made this Jesus. In case you don't know who I'm talking about, this Jesus, the one you crucified, the one that you put on the cross to be both Lord and Messiah. So rate yourself, okay? Number two, fills the need. You could write into that test right there, burning desire. He feels the need or the burning desire to express his ideas regarding right or wrong and will do so on the spur of the moment. Okay, the superhero that has this characteristics in the movies is Captain America, right? He's the one that's always coming back to right and wrong. He's always coming back to the moral and, and, and to where we're going. But, but the prophet is the type of person who walks into your small group or walks into your community group. And even if he or she did not read one paragraph of the assignment, even if it's their first night in the group, they will show up in the group and they will have a lot to say. And the fact of the matter is, they're usually right. Or at least they can make a good case for being right about what it is that they've just said, right? So they speak quickly, often without thinking. Because they want to see immediate results and they want to solve problems, right? Vanilla Ice, the theologian, you know, he wrote about, yo, if there's a problem, yo, I'll solve it, right? Check out the hook while the DJ. So that's the prophet. I'm going to come in and I will solve this problem. And let me just say to you, if you have a prophet in your life and they give you advice and you don't take it, just be aware. They will come after you. And they will chase you like a chihuahua. They will come after you until you finally take their advice. We, we just read from Acts chapter 2 where Peter was so incredibly bold with the religious leaders of the day. Chapter 2, or, or a couple of chapters later, chapter 4, he heals this beggar outside the temple. You remember that? He and John were going into the temple and, and there was a beggar there and he told him to stand. And the beggar went, you know, doing cartwheels and dancing into the temple. And he drew a crowd because there was astonishment that happened there. And, and the religious leaders are ticked and they call them in and they talk to them about it. Look at chapter 4 uh, and verse 8. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to the rulers and the elders of our people, We are, or are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you hear the sarcasm in that? Have you called us in to talk to us because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? You want to know how he was healed? Because that was the line of questioning. How was he healed? And, and what happened to him? And in verse 10, look what he says. Let me clearly state to all of you and all the people of Israel, he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. Listen, Peter was not going to stand there and just take it from these guys. He was ready. His gun was loaded and he was eager, eager to fire this gun. And he exposed them right there and he exposed them in their error right there on the spot. Number three, is uniquely gifted to spot hypocrisy in others and will be extremely direct when confronting it. You don't act like a hypocrite in front of a prophet, okay, because they are driven to confront it. And when you are a hypocrite in front of them, they will let you know it. And it's not because they enjoy embarrassing others. It's because they don't want anyone to get hurt. Look at how Peter, the prophet, 
deals with the hypocrisy around him. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 5, there's this story of, uh, of this couple named Ananias and, and Sapphira, and, and uh, they had sold some property, and then they said that they were giving all of the money from the sale of that property to the church and to God, and, but they kept some of it back for themselves. And, and Peter is addressing that in verse 3, and he says, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? Pretty strong. If your spouse has ever said to you, why have you let Satan fill your heart? Probably married to a prophet. (laughs) You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wish. After selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? And look what the prophet does. You weren't just lying to us. You were lying to God. The prophet knows that sin has consequences, and they're not afraid to address that. But, but this can have a negative effect on their personal relationships, right, and the people around them. The prophet is not what you would call a people person, right? They don't really care what others think about them. Number four, has strong convictions and strict personal standards. They have impeccable morals, okay, unless they're in the flesh, Okay, in the flesh, it goes haywire really quick for the prophet. But, but look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. And it says, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the Scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Now rate yourself on that one. Number five. The prophet is open in expressing his own faults and accepting brokenness as God's way of working in his or her life. What's the advice there? Don't look for sympathy from a prophet. They will not give it to you. They don't even give it to themselves, right? You you will probably not hear a prophet say, oh, that's awful. I am so sorry to hear that terrible, terrible news right? Instead, what you hear a prophet say is, praise God. What an opportunity for growth, right? I can't wait to see what God is going to teach me and how he's going to grow you and what he's going to do in the middle of this. And most people don't understand this at all. They don't understand how a prophet could act that way or see that that way. They get excited when God works and they know God does his best work in brokenness and in pain. And it just sounds wrong to everyone else. Take a look at how Peter sees himself. He's a complete open book. Luke chapter 5. Verse 8. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. The prophet is kind of an all or nothing uh, person. Number six, has a genuine concern to see God's will done and will defend God's will even when it means personal suffering. Okay, I don't need to explain that to you. Just rate yourself on that one. Number seven, views the Bible as the source of their convictions and the basis for all truth, action, and authority. The prophet loves the Bible. They love to study the Bible. They love to pray over the Bible. They love to pray out of the Bible. They love to hear God speak in the Bible. Now, what, what I think or what you think or what the crowd thinks, that's not interesting to the prophet. Okay, They're not taking an opinion poll. They're not interested in the opinion poll. It always comes back to what does the word say? What does the Bible say? Number eight, has few or no close friends? 
Like I said, the prophet is not a people person. So rate yourself on that one. Number nine, exhibits loyalty and commitment without reservation. You remember the Last Supper when Jesus said to the disciples, one of you is going to deny me and one of you is going to turn your back on me. And Peter steps up and says, not me, right? I will never leave you. And Jesus said, shh. He said, no, 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 I will never leave you. I would die for you. A prophet will display extreme loyalty. They don't always follow through with it, right? Peter didn't in that situation. But the intent is there with the prophet. Number 10, they operate with boldness. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 40. They called in the apostles and they had them flogged. Then they ordered them to never again speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. They beat them within an inch of their life and told them not to speak about Jesus. Verse 41, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach the message, Jesus is the Messiah. A prophet is a person of principle. They know what they believe in and they will take a stand for what they believe in. They are fearless when it comes to their core beliefs and when it comes to their abilities. And this is probably, of all seven of the gifts, the easiest gift to spot in somebody else. And the reason is is because they are so bold. Okay, so that's the personality. All of those, you add them up, okay? And so if you scored 40 or higher, you're probably a prophet, okay? In fact, let's just say, if you scored 40 or higher, let me see your hands. All campuses, raise them high. And let me say, okay, we got several uh, prophets. Now, it depends on whether you're operating in the spirit or in the flesh as we talk about the problem because every gift and every personality can be good or it can be bad, all right? And so let's talk about how you would use this, whether you're operating in the spirit or the flesh. And the spirit is great. In the flesh, it can go bad very quickly. And I touched on some of the problems as I walked through uh, the personality, but it's important for you to understand the prophet is often very misunderstood, often. In the spirit, they are convincing and convicting and direct. They have this great command of words. They can heal with their words, right? And they can destroy with their words. But in the flesh, the prophet is very, very strong-willed. And that can often lead everyone around them to think they are very arrogant. Now, how do they use the gift for good and bad? Okay, because uh, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Some hero said that. We need to know how to wield the power in, of the prophet in the right way. If you're a prophet, you have to understand this, okay? So I want you to number one to seven in two columns. Don't take up the whole page because we're going to do another gift here in a minute. But, but you number one to seven and write spirit, and then number one to seven and above it, write flesh. And so I'm going to give you a characteristic for each of them in the spirit and in the flesh. And, and the, you know, the notes were blank. The prophet came in and knew what belonged there on the page, right? And, and, and so as we look at this today, in the, in the spirit, all right, did you get a handout in the way in? A blank page with the announcements and all that? You don't have it? You came in the wrong door, Meredith. And, and, and so... Uh, there's one right there beside you. So when we look at it, look, number one is boldness. I'm not a prophet, by the way. Number one is boldness. Not abrasive, boldness. Okay? In the flesh, fear. Anytime you see a prophet become fearful and filled with anxiety or worried about what people think, that is a telltale sign they're operating in the flesh. Number two is purity of life. In other words, the prophet in the spirit, you don't tell dirty jokes around the prophet. 
in the spirit because they've got this purity and they're concerned about this purity. But number two in the flesh is wickedness and sensual. I would say to you the vast majority of public religious figures who fell publicly and there was a big scandal that you know circled around these public uh, pastors or religious leaders, it, most of the time it was a prophet who got in the flesh. And when a prophet gets in the flesh, it can go sensual and wicked in a moment. Number three, commitment. Commitment. In the spirit, they are highly committed individuals. In the flesh, they are indecisive. Anytime you hear a prophet saying, I need all the information before I make this decision, they're not operating in their gift. Number four, in the spirit, sincerity. They're not about small talk. What they say, they're very sincere about, and you know exactly where you stand with them, okay? In the flesh, hypocrisy, and they'll close up like a turtle going back in his shell. Number five, in the spirit, persuasiveness. In the flesh, demanding. When you see a prophet, pitch a fit flesh. Number six, forgives quickly. The prophet will forgive quickly, quickly, quickly. They are very quick to forgive. In the flesh, bitterness. They hold a grudge. They become judgmental. You know that that's a prophet in the flesh when they are holding on to grudges and bitterness. Okay. Number seven, full of joy. The prophet in the spirit is full of joy. And in the flesh, frustration. Okay, and they're highly frustrated by others' actions. So now let's move on to the second gift and Romans 12 today. And that gift is the gift of service. And again, flip the page over on your score sheet. And the Greek word here in Romans 12 is diakonos. It's where we get our word deacon. They focus on the practical things and the areas of need. That word, that Greek word shows up in a story in Acts chapter 6. In the early church, remember on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 people. The church started with 120. Does that sound familiar to you? It started with 120 people in an upper room. And then Peter stands up and preaches, and they had 3,000 added to their role in one day. You flip the page a couple of chapters, and there's that healing at the temple, and they add another 5,000 people immediately. So overnight, the church goes from 120 to over 8,000 people, which sounds familiar to what's happened in our church. And it's amazing growth, 6,000% growth. And we all look at that and go, wow, but I want you to guess what happens when you add that many people that fast. It doesn't even have to be that fast. You can do it over the course of 11 years. What happens when you add that many people to a church? Problems, big problems, right? Because people have physical needs that must be met. People have emotional needs that must be met. When you add people, you add problems, right? The pastors, this is a common lament among pastors. The church would be stinking awesome if it weren't for the people, right? But you wouldn't have a church without the people. And in fact, the Bible says it this way, that a stall with no ox in it is clean and is easy to keep clean. But when you put the ox in it, which is the goal of the stall, right? Poop comes with them. And everybody comes and every time any one of us comes, we come with our problems. So what did the apostles say? They said, we got to focus on our gift and our gift is teaching. And so they got seven other guys to run the food pantry, which by the way, is the role of deacons biblically. Any church that says and takes these men and puts them in an elder role and says that the deacons will now dictate the church and run the church, they don't know the Greek language. Deacon means servant. The deacon is the one who cleans the toilet. 
Not makes all of the decision. And these guys were the servants, and they were the first deacons of the church. And so you go back to the superpower test, and let's see how you do with the gift of servanthood. Number one, quickly spots a practical need and feels compelled to meet that need in a swift, meticulous manner. So rate yourself. Zero, never. Five, always. One, two, three, and four, somewhere in between. A servant, listen, they sniff out a need. They sniff out a need before anybody else even knows a need existed, right? We're all standing around. We all think this is great and everything is wonderful and and things are amazing. And the servant all of a sudden will go, "Uh uh-oh, things are about to go bad. And and you and I are sitting around drinking a cup of coffee and, and we're having, you know, small talk. And the servant sees that we're about to run out of coffee and has already gone and put another pot of coffee on. The servant is very comfortable around the kitchen and very comfortable around uh, the table and behind the scenes. And you can casually mention a need. You'll say, so-and-so is in the hospital, and before you know it, they are making a casserole, right, to take over them for dinner. You never, rarely will you hear the servant say, I love you. Okay, that's not the MO of the servant. The servant will show you that they love you. They're not going to tell you. And the biblical example, by the way, is Timothy. Timothy was clearly the servant. Listen listen in Philippians chapter 2 in verse uh, 19, where Paul, talking about Timothy, says, if the Lord is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. Listen to what he says. I have no one else like Timothy who generally cares for your welfare. Rate yourself. Number two, derives joy and a sense of purpose in serving others beyond what is expected. A servant will go out of their mind if they are not serving someone else. They will actively go find an issue. They will go find a problem that needs their help. They don't wait around for the problem to pop up. They go find the problem, right? And you may never even known there was a problem, but the servant went and searched it out. Number three, tends to sacrifice their own needs, even personal health, to serve others. You heard the adage, it's the plumber's pipes that always leak, right? And it's the butcher's wife who starves. That, that's the servant who is meeting the needs of everyone else at the expense instead of their own needs, right? And so why, why does that happen? Number four, look at it, has difficulty saying no to requests for help. A servant is geared for help, but they get overloaded quickly. You ask a servant how to unclog a drain and you will turn over and their arm will be up to their elbow in your sink. And they get sidetracked very, very easily because they are spread so thin. And they always have five places of service in the church. And every time you mention a new ministry, they sign up, right, to to be a part of that. They get sidetracked so easily because they get spread so very, very, very thin. Paul encouraged Timothy on a regular basis. Remember what he would say to him in 2 Timothy chapter 2. You need to endure suffering like a good soldier, like Christ Jesus. But listen to what he says. Don't get involved. In the civilian affairs, soldiers don't go get involved in civilian affairs because they can't please their officer if they do that. In other words, don't get sidetracked. So often, Timothy, pay attention and stay focused on what the goal is. Number five, they enjoy manual projects that combine a great deal of attention to detail with remarkable memory. They like to work with their hands. They're amazing on those kind of mission trips. Uh, They can't stand clutter. They can't stand dust 
or disorganization. They want every bed made. They want every dish cleaned. They want every shelf dusted. If you go into the servant's workshop, they're the ones that have all the tools hanging on the pegboard with an outline of the tool on the pegboard so that everybody knows exactly where that tool goes and, and they're neatly organized. If you ever have a servant over to your house, just be prepared. They will clean it. Right? And, and so that, that they'll start cleaning. They, they'll start organizing your books on your bookshelf. They will straighten picture frames. They are always wanting to do something. They're up and they are doing. Okay? So number six needs communication of specific instructions before service is rendered and appreciation after the fact. After the job, here's what the servant will do. They will stand around waiting. You're like, that's all. Right? You know, and, and they're not waiting for you to pay them. You go to all foreign countries, right, and, and the, the bus boy or the, or the uh, bellboy, you know, will stand there or the taxi cab, you know, in order for you to tip them. That's not the servant. The servant is standing there not to be paid. They're getting paid, by the way. It is income for them and compensation for them. It's just not money. They want affirmation, and they want you to say, great job. And they want you to say, you helped me out so much. Thank you so much because they need to know that their effort was worth it. And they have to know that they met a need. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10. When Timothy comes, don't intimidate him. He's talking about a servant. He's doing the Lord's work just as I am. Don't let anyone treat him with contempt. Send him on his way with your blessing. See, here's Paul teaching everybody how to treat a servant and how to treat Timothy. Number seven, they love being around People, they love to be around people. A prophet is fine to stay home, read a book, watch a documentary, but not the servant, right? If the house is empty, the servant's going to go find a crowd. Why? Because the more people, the more needs, and the more opportunity for service. Number eight, prefers working on immediate goals rather than long-range goals. Listen, they are dependable in the short range, not the long range. You, you will frustrate the hound out of a servant and giving them a three-year goal. It, it will drive them up the wall. Why? Because they can't see the results. And if they can't see the results, they can't attach it to their effort. And, and so they don't make the greatest visionaries, but they are wonderful at motivating people. They can motivate people. Number nine, they feel inadequate as the leader, but readily supports those who are in leadership. They're hands-on. And if they're not helping in some way, they will quit. If they feel like they're not helping, they're out, and they're, they're, they're going to walk out the door. They will not be a part of it. Number 10, they operate at a high, high level. They are tireless. They will often lose sleep. They will wake up early in order to get a head start. They go, 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 go. It's like the Energizer bunny, right? And, and they are fueled by this passion to serve. And, and so what's wrong with the servant? What's the problem? Because it sounds awesome, right, to have servants around. Uh, you'd much rather have a servant over for dinner than a prophet, right? And, and so, but as you look at this uh, and, you, and you think about the servant, let's just illustrate this this way. If you're a servant sitting out here in the audience and you're looking up here on the stage and you see this wire sticking up like this right here, it drives you crazy. Drives you crazy. And, and so in between services, the servant will come up here and fix it. They don't talk to anybody. Instead of going and getting the stagehand and saying, hey, I, I noticed that. Can you help with this or whatever? They walk up between services and they fix it, which sounds great because it needs to be, but they will go around the chain of command on a regular basis. They will go behind your back and, they, and, and 
do things that maybe shouldn't even be done. And it looks like to other people that they are doing it to make themselves look good. Problem with the servant. The greatest problem is this with the servant. They want everybody to always be happy with them. Worst pain they can think of is this. For somebody to look at them and say, I am disappointed with you. They can't even face the reality of letting someone down. So they will do whatever it takes to please everybody every time. And so let's talk about the power for a second. Again, list seven and seven, spirit, flesh. And as we look at this, what's the best way and the worst way for you to operate in the gift of servanthood? Number one in the spirit, alertness. They're alert to the needs around them. Number, two, number one in the flesh is insensitivity. Anytime you see a servant say, I'm just going to sit down and enjoy mine, y'all do whatever you want, flesh. They're operating in the flesh. Number two, spirit, hospitality. They make amazing hosts. Two in the flesh is seclusion. They're stuck in the kitchen the whole night, washing the dishes and staying away from the people. Number three, spirit, generosity. They give, 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 give. The servant will give, 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 okay? In the flesh, they're stingy. And they say, I'm going to keep this. I'm going to save it for someone else. I'm going to save it for a better need. This is not worthy. I'm going to take it somewhere else. Four, availability. They're available. In the flesh, they're detached or detachment especially from the ones they love. Anytime you see a servant detached from the ones that they love and from loved ones, flesh. Number five, flexibility. Very flexible. Five, rigid. This is, you know a servant's in the flesh when this is how they do it. Yes, I will do that, and yes, I will take care of it, but I will do it my way. I'll say yes, but don't tell me how to do it. That's a servant in the flesh. Number six, endurance. I'm with you all the way. I will stay with you all the way. Number six in, in the flesh, resignation. And they say, I quit and I'm done. And number seven in the spirit, which by the way is the same for all of them, joy. Because anytime you operate in your gift, you're full of joy. Full of the Holy Spirit, in your spiritual gifts, full of joy. Number seven is frustration, right? That servant is, I serve all the time without any thanks. Nobody ever tells me, thank you. And so by the way, what's the connection between the prophet and the servant? It's, it's very clear right? The, the, they both want to point out flaws. But the prophet is going to point them out and leave you to fix them. The servant is just going to roll up their sleeves and start fixing them, right? They just go to work. It's the extreme uh, sides of the very same desire to fix you. And that fix-it mentality, listen, it's part of the image of God that's stamped upon us because it's part of God's seven-faceted uh, perfection. He's perfect. And so part of that image in us is we want to fix others. That's what Jesus came to do. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he said, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But here's the problem. Listen to me. Prophets and servants, hear me today. You can't fix people. Only Jesus can fix people. And what you can do is point them to Jesus. What you can do is to exhibit that same servant attitude. And when you do that, you're helping people encounter the one who can fix all of us. His name is Jesus. And that is a system that in God's word. There is a plan in God's word. It is called the local 
church. And when the local church is concerned about being the church and not just doing church, people will encounter the God who can fix them. And that's why it's so incredibly important for all of us on every campus to be serving in our gift and in our job. And our job is twofold. Number one, it's to bring them to church. It's to bring outsiders. It's to bring those who don't know Christ. It's to bring unchurched people to the church. And then secondly, we got to serve in our gift. We got to quit trying to fix people. That's Jesus's job. Our job is different. We bring people and we serve and God does what God does, but it takes the whole body to be the body and the whole body has to be in place in order to look like the body. And last night in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and last night in Chicago, Illinois, and last night all around all of our campuses, there was a woman who's been attending church for years and years. And she sat down next to her husband, and after years of nagging and years of begging, she finally convinced him to say, okay, I will go to church tomorrow. And she got on her knees in the living room and prayed and prayed, God, please don't let any of the children get sick tonight. And God, please, would you let him get a good night's rest? And and she gets the breakfast ready and laid out and she gets the kids' clothes ready and laid out because she knows if there's any distraction or any detour, he won't come the next day. And so she is praying and she is praying. And and when she exits uh, to pull into the campus, she's praying, let there be a parking spot. Please don't let there be no more parking spots. And and at Battle Creek, let us have one spot kind of close that maybe was saved for guests or maybe was saved for first time. And at Midtown, I don't want to park all the way through the neighborhood and up the street. And we're just praying, Lord, let there be somebody waving as we pull into the parking lot and let them have a spot for us to pull in. And when they walk towards the building, she is praying, God, please let the first... Impressions team and the Hello team be there and be in place. Let them give Sally a high five, their little daughter, when she walks in the door. Let my husband see how excited about this place my daughter is and how excited these people are that my daughter is here. And when we go to the classroom in the elementary area, Lord, please let there be enough volunteers. Please don't let it be one of those days where they had to close the classroom because they had too many children and not enough servants and leaders. Because he will just say, I'll take Sally. We'll go to the coffee shop. Honey, you just go to church. No, Lord, please let there be smiling faces ready to go. And when we walk into that worship center, let the music be right and let it be on key today and, and let it be on pitch. And, 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 and Father, when Alex gets up to speak, let him, just help him. Not like he was a few weeks ago. Let him be better than that. And, and, and Lord, would you not let him stutter today? so that my husband can pay attention. And when the invitation comes and the response time comes, Lord, would you please let there be people praying with me and joined alongside me that my husband could come to the place where he would give his life to Jesus Christ. And that happens at all of our campuses every single weekend. I want you to imagine that that man is your son-in-law. And that's your daughter praying for the daddy of your grandchildren. How big a deal is this? 
for the church to be in place and in position. Imagine that that man is your son's employer and he just needs God to show up in his workplace so that it would be a place that he would enjoy working and his employer needs to come. Just imagine, you know these people? And they finally said yes to come. Do you see how big of a deal it is for us to be in our places doing our gifts and doing what God has equipped us to do so that when they say yes, we're here making this place that place that I just talked about and is ready and equipped and prepared and well-oiled and the best operating system in our city on Sunday morning because people's lives are hanging in the balance. And there are people in this room today and there are people on all of our campuses today who are praying, God, I want my spouse to walk out of hell and into heaven, out of one kingdom into another, out of death and into life. And we got to help each other be just that. And so today I'm not just asking you to commit to find your gift. I'm asking you to find a place to use your gift in the local church. And will you commit to bring people with you, to invite people? Uh, Listen to me. I can't think of any other habit that would change multiple habits in the life of a local church. You say, well, we need to get better at this, or we need to fix that, or that needs to be polished. Let me tell you something. You just back up one second, and, and the habit that will change all of those habits, just like that, is if all of us just brought guests all the time. Because if you and I bring a guest, it'll get better. And if you and I bring a guest, it will be polished. And if you and I bring a guest, we will take care of that. Why? Because we will see it through the eyes of visitors. And that dust over in the corner won't be there anymore because we're looking at it through the eyes of visitors. And it depends on the visitor I bring, right? Sometimes I bring a, a, a neighbor who's, you know, in his 60s and, and I'm sitting there and I'm going, he came today and I'm going, oh, it's loud, right? And sometimes I'm at Starbucks and I invite a 21-year-old and the 21-year-old comes in and I know they're here today and I'm going, I wish they would turn it up. And the reason is because I'm looking at it through the eyes of the visitor that I bring. And so will you commit to bring people who need Jesus so that they can encounter the Jesus you've encountered in his local church, his body on earth? And maybe you're here today and you've never encountered Jesus. You never met him. And you felt something today and you're not sure what it is that you felt because you never felt it before. And I just want to say to you, you felt Jesus, the Son of God. And he's trying to draw you into a relationship with him. And and maybe you know the story that he was born and he lived a perfect life and he died on a cross and he was buried in a grave, but then he rose again. And, And that was the plan of God, to fix you and to save you from your sin and to save you from yourself. And today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do just that on all of our campuses. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads and would you just close your eyes? Today, you've never done that. You don't know for sure that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. There are people all around you that are praying right now. And they're praying for you. And that today could be the day of salvation. If you want to cross that line today, would you just pray with me right where you're seated? Would you just say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord. You come in and call the shots in my life. Come in as my Savior and my forgiver. 
And the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. And I want to thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I want to thank you, Jesus, that you were not embarrassed or ashamed of me, but you died on a public cross, naked, on my behalf. Would you help me to not be ashamed of you? Thank you for saving me on all of our campuses. And as we pray and as we're, as we're getting ready to respond, I'm asking the campus pastors to come on every campus. If you just prayed that prayer, nobody looking except for me, you meant it with all of your heart. Would you just slip your hand up all across the room and let me see it? Every campus, just slip it up high and say, I just prayed that. Give my life to Christ, okay? All right? Anybody else? Slip it up high and let me see it. In every section, every room, every campus this morning, would you just slip your hand up and let me see it? I just prayed to give my life to Jesus, and I'm not embarrassed of Jesus or ashamed of him. I receive him as my Lord and my Savior. Just slip your hand up. Anybody else? Now, if your hand just went up, I, I just want you to look at me. The rest of you keep your head bowed and eyes closed. If you meant it, just look up at me. Did you mean it? In just a moment, we're going to respond. And when we do, I, I, I want to encourage you that there's a guest reception just outside the, the worship center on the right. And when uh, the campus pastors or when one of the pastors comes and dismisses you in a little while, I want you to stop in there and I would love to meet you. And I would love to put a name with a face and say hello to you. You say, I don't know what to say. You, you just say, hey, I prayed that prayer with you in that room to give my life to Christ. And Father, for the body, I pray you'd grow us and you'd strengthen us. And you would advance your kingdom through us. Expand your name and your renown. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we all say amen and amen. Would you thank the Lord today for the Holy Spirit and his ministry among us.